Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hey, welcome back to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're continuing our discussion on the new classes brought to us through the Advanced Player's Guide. So, get ready for some rope swinging, plenty of sword dancing, and a few yars as we dive into the swashbuckler. I'm Chad, and tonight, I'm talking with Sarah. Hey. And Beth. Hello. But before we get into the panache and flair of this new class, let's talk a little bit about the latest playtest. Okay, so in the blog post that was released literally today, so the day we're recording this is September 8th, they have announced a new playtest. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise per se. We kind of... A lot of people knew this was coming and they've teased it. But it's very exciting. So we have two new classes to playtest. And that's going to be the Magus and the Summoner. So we'll definitely put a link in the description for you guys to download it. I highly recommend it. But I did want to kind of... Go over some of the interesting things that I saw in the playtest. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of chances for feedback. Anything that we see now could be changed. It is unlikely that the the Magus and the Summoner are going to be exactly the same when they release. That being said, it is definitely going to give us an idea of how they want this to look. So that'll be interesting. I like the artwork that's in in this blog. I'm intrigued that they went with small indigenous looking girl with a powerful pet. It seems like that might be a little bit of an overdone trope by now. But uh, if that's what they wanted. So that is actually really interesting because that is not the original iconic for the summoner. That is a new iconic. Uh, let me look up his name really quick. And these are just pencil sketches, so, you know, maybe I'm uh, misinterpreting this a bit, but... Well, I can also tell you that one of the NPC... They weren't Iconics, but they were in the Tales series and in the Pathfinder card game. There was a summoner. No, she wasn't a summoner. What was her name? Her name was Yu. Was she a sorcerer that was, so. that was named Yoon, and she was a child? Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong character. She was really cool. I think her name was Yoon. Y-O-O-N. No, she was the iconic kineticist. And she was a human child whose powers developed when her family uh, was killed, I believe. Oh. She was a really interesting character, and a friend of mine loved that character quite a bit. No, the original summoner was a gnome. His name was uh, Balazar. He was uh, an old gnome. Okay, I just looked up pictures of Balazar, and it's got some weird snake chicken thing circling him. Yeah, that's his... Now, I have always said this as Edelon, but you looked it up and it's actually pronounced... Eidolon? Eidolon. I've never pronounced it way. But as most of you all know, I pronounce everything incorrectly. <laughs> so... It can't be helped when English is really just a mishmash of other languages and then rifles through other languages' pockets for spare grammar. It's... Absolutely true, but also it's a fantasy language, so that makes it even worse. Well, yeah. But anyway, so since we're talking about the summoner, let's go ahead and talk about them first. So we don't know anything about this 
character. We don't know if she is, and I, I'm I'm using her pronouns, uh, but we don't really know anything about them. We don't know if they're a halfling, a gnome, since it's not colored. It definitely looks Milwangi inspired in the jewelry. Mm-hmm. Even if this is a halfling, the art does look very childish to me. With like the bows on the shoes, the crossbody backpack. However, they do have a giant stick to beat you with. So there's that. <laughs> also, the Edelon isn't fully drawn. And I really wonder how they're going to color this. Because, like, if you look at the face, it's hyper-detailed. Like, down to the scales, the symbol on their forehead, which matches the symbol on the uh, small character's jewelry. But then if you look at the tail, it's kind of barely sketched in. So I wonder if that's going to be kind of ghostly or wispy. Yeah, uh, or whether they were on a deadline. Yes. Could be. <laughs> in the original Summoner's artwork, the Eidolon is sort of being summoned, and so its second, or, like, bottom half is kind of wispy. I think that's what they're going for here. But, you know, we don't know for sure. I, I want to know more about this character, that's for sure. It does look like a fairy dragon. A large fairy dragon, but still. Adorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're really cute. So, in terms of mechanics, I don't want to get too much into it, because like I said, a lot of this is going to change. But, obviously, the focus is going to be on the Eidolon. The weird... I say weird. The different part of this is the spell casting. So if you look on page 15 of the Summoner playtest document. Ooh, sorry, I just looked at it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of strange. Depending on your level, you change what spells you have access to. So at level one, you get one first level spell. Now you always have five cantrips, but say you're level nine. Well, now you don't have any first level spells. What you have at level 9 is two fourth level and two fifth level spells. So I think the, it is very different. I think this is their way of trying to do what used to be called half casting, or where as you leveled up, you weren't a full caster. Mm -hmm. So these characters. Uh, this includes the Magus, is never going to get access to 10th level spells. Mm. And they lose those lower level spells as you level up. So at level 20, you have... Excuse me. At level 20, you have two 8th level spells and two 9 level spells. But you don't have access to 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, or 7th. Mm. Really interesting. Really interesting. I believe, but I'm looking to confirm that the summoner gets their tradition from their Eidolon. Makes some sense. Yes, that is correct. So, divine, occult, arcane, and primal. Uh, Edelons will give you. So it looks like the iconic, if that is indeed a fairy dragon, I would say that it is a beast of the fae. So probably a primal Edelon. Well, they have, I think it looks like four different Edelons listed here. We have Angel, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. then, I believe Beast, the next one Devotion, Phantom, and Dragon. Mm-hmm. So it could be dragon, but Yeah, and that would be arcane. Okay. So yeah, very interesting. Uh it does also make a note that in 
uh, for the angel summoners, it says right now there are no first level divine summoning spells. If you choose an angel Edelon, add summon animal to the divine spell list. Which tells me that when this book comes out next year, there's going to be a, a first level divine summoning spell. So that'll be interesting. And it's going to be summon animal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> or something like that. Summon animals only if they have halos. Oh. Right. Obvious. Yes. Very, very interesting playtest. I really want to know what everyone else thinks. So if you have opinions on the summoner, definitely go to the forums and I'll link the playtest specific forums. They also have some survey monkey stuff. I am not going to be filling out the survey unless I actually play one of these classes. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like theoretic knowledge is not the same as table knowledge. So. Agreed. Now I kind of want to just briefly talk about the Magus. Because they have some interesting features. Mostly features. So the spell casting is the, exactly the same as we described, except they are only arcane. So they don't get to pick. Obviously, Magus is going to be focused on hitting with a melee weapon while also casting spells. They get a really cool technique called striking spell. And it is a free action. So you alter a spell to combine it with a martial attack, which is pretty cool. And then they're kind of, I always call them a shtick, uh, but the thing that makes each magus, you know, unique uh, is called a synthesis. Uh, so each magus uses striking spell to blend with their preferred fighting style and weapon. These are called your magus and so you have shooting star, slide casting, and sustaining steel are the three syntheses. So shooting star is ranged uh, weapons. Slide casting allows you to force yourself forward. So being able to jump and strike, which is kind of cool. And then sustaining steel which allows you to use a two-handed weapon? That's kind of interesting. I need to do some more research on that one. The One of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was spell parry. So you parry, you, you gain a plus one bonus to AC against spells, that target you until the start of your next turn. So it's we're, later we're going to be talking about dueling parry, but that's against melee attacks. It's kind of interesting that they have an option for spells. That's Magus only. I would like to say that I, I think the focus battle spells are really cool because to me it sort of has the flavor of like, hey, you're really a fighter, but... You wanted to fight better, so you learned just enough magic to, like, enhance your weapons and, like, make them better. So you could hit stuff good, but more good than before. I love that. You you just wanted to hit stuff good. Yeah. Because the battle spells are mostly, like, you get a temporary benefit of weapon runes, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's... That's cool. Yeah, like that. that's actually super cool. Very interesting. I, I, w I will say that. Just a very interesting innovation with how they're doing spells. I was not anticipating that. So it was kind of like, oh, I see what you're doing there. I don't know how to feel about it yet. But yeah, that's a playtest. I'll leave links in the description of the episode. 
So the last thing that I wanted to talk about was something that was bittersweet uh, announcement. This was actually made a couple of weeks ago. We should have talked about it already, but I had, I, I can't remember now if I had forgotten or I hadn't heard yet when we last recorded one of our discussion episodes. But as most of you guys know, I have a severe love of everything that Liz Lydell writes. I think that her contributions to the Pathfinder team have been freaking fantastic. On the 25th of August, she announced that she is actually leaving Paizo. No, that's incorrect. On the 19th of August, she announced that she is leaving. She is going to be the editing manager for Magic the Gathering. Good for her. Yeah, very good for her. That's, you know, going to be really awesome career opportunity. It sounds like she's really excited, which is, you know, what you want in a writer. You want someone, you know, passionate about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. She then, on the 25th, announced that Paizo were accepting applications to fill her role, which is just... Sad. I don't know. Yeah, just really, really, really sad. But obviously, I wish her the best. I think that the contributions she's made are fantastic, and I really hope that when they hire somebody that they will be able to bring kind of the same insights that she did. Or, you know, ideally even more. The only thing that I would say is, as a criticism, is Paizo, it's 2020. Why do they have to be in Seattle? Like, I understand, someone said, like, hey, I wish you would reconsider you must be in Seattle requirement. And Liz Lydell was like, it's something to do with legal, but I don't know the details. It's 2020. Like, the idea that they have to be in Seattle is outdated. We need to stop that. Especially because no one's working in person right now anyway. And I really hope that the industry starts working remote as a standard. Because then you can get writers all over the world. Top notch. Exactly. Yeah, I just am not... I'm not a huge fan of relocation requirement. Like... Oh, I'm, like, I'm not a huge fan of it either. I think it just makes it, like, slightly easier for tax purposes. Because you having like a, a brick and mortar building that people are required to like live in a certain place makes it less confusing in the already ridiculously confusing American system of doing taxes because you're not like working in one state but living in another. But I don't know. We live in Kansas City, so I don't right. really think it's that big of an issue. Because right, otherwise, exactly. a bunch of companies wouldn't do it. Right. So I actually live in Kansas City, Missouri. And for, I want to say four years, I had to pay taxes in Kansas. Because I worked, quote unquote, in Kansas. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't actually. I worked in Missouri. But the, the office was it technically in. Yeah, it's complicated and stupid. Don't get me wrong. I recognize that that's a whole, that is definitely not what this podcast is about. No, I'm just, I was just <laughs> but throwing I it in there that that was like one of the Absolutely. weird complication rules it is. is that our tax system, like most of our systems, uh, could use improvement. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely agree. In my opinion, Paizo is now big enough where they can maybe help people with that, especially now. I don't know. That's that is my opinion. Just just throwing it out there. So the swashbuckler. <laughs> Let let's get into what we are actually here for. The swashbuckler. 
So if, if everybody's okay with that, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with Beth's favorite first question, which is, what's the fantasy of playing this class? And as somebody who has been watching a lot of One Piece recently, I would like to say that there's nothing more in my entire existence right now that I want to be than a pirate. I want to be a pirate. Uh... <laughs> Every time I see like any pirate content, I w- Pirates of the Caribbean, any historical context about women pirates, One Piece, being a pirate seems awesome. Okay, so I am going to kind of be a negative Nancy now. No. I'm sorry, I have to be. Yes and no. So, like, in many ways, I agree with you. I think the idea of being a pirate, even not just, like, the movie glamorous version of a pirate, but just pirates in general, I think sound really cool and can be really interesting. However, I think, especially when we're talking about historical context, there has not always been, we'll say, a positive light on pirate, which I think is part of the reason why Paizo went with a swashbuckler, because in a, as a swashbuckler, right, it doesn't necessarily have... Like, the negative aspects, it's all about, like, fighting for what's right and swinging around on ropes and... Do they have to fight for what's right? I mean, typically. They fight what they believe in is right. If they believe in gold, they'll fight for that. Yeah, absolutely. Not to quote Muppet Treasure Island, but it's how you look at Buccaneers that makes the batter good. I believe the example that Tim Curry gives is Sir Francis Drake, uh, because the Spanish all despise him, but to the British, he's a hero, and they idolize him. Also, I would like to say that a lot of pirates were doing sort of the the freedom fighting thing, and it was a lot of government propaganda that said that pirates were terrible people who you should fear and hate. So, uh, anyway, I'm going to get off that soapbox just a little bit. Well... Now that I've quoted Muppet Treasure Island. (laughs) Which is a very, very good movie. I think that it all depends on the pirates, right? Like Also true. And we're not here gonna gonna be debating that, but and I think that that is the same with swashbucklers. But when we talk about even in literature, there is this idea of the swarthy hero who has the agility of a thousand men and comes in and rescues people, right? Like, I think when we talk about the swashbuckler, a lot of people, that's what they're imaging. Like, when I think of the swashbuckler, the first thing I picture every single time is Zorro. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Uh, I also saw uh, referenced in the Swashbuckler Wikipedia the Three Musketeers, which I hadn't really thought of them as swashbucklers before, but totally can see it. Is now a good time to bring up uh, the Three Amigos? I mean, yeah, why not? Because I definitely, like, I, all of those, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more specifically, all three of them, braggarts. <laughs> right like all front yes. very little fight out of necessity but like or circumstance i guess yeah absolutely for sure all about like the showmanship i'm here for it yeah that's that's pretty great another very popular when you talk about a swashbuckler a lot of people will think of robin hood mm-hmm. even though Again, that would not have been on my list, but I totally can see it. Robin Hood work with swords. So, whenever I think of Swashbuckler, and this is interesting, but I always think of Carrie Elwes. Isn't that how you say his last name? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's close enough. 
But we we talked about this a lot also when we talked about the rogue. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I think for a lot of movies, right, they play up the sports, like the, the showmanship and like the showing off of these characters. So, I mean, rogues are generally like, please don't look at me. Mm-hmm. Sneaky stab. Oh, but the swashbuckler is the opposite of that. Is the please look at me, I will tumble over to you and then stab you. Yes. Yeah, 150%. And I'm here for it, by the way. Get you a man that can do both. (laughs) Swashbuckler with a rogue dedication? That'd be pretty good. Mm, We'll talk about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what the fantasy is, right? Like. This idea of somebody holding a sword and making the area around them part of the battlefield, including tables and boulders and never afraid of taking the battle to an unconventional place. That's what I think of when I think of a swashbuckler. When we talk about how Paizo took that, and made it into a class, I definitely think they did a pretty good job. So let's get into second edition swashbucklery. Is that a word? We're making it a word. now. So let's get some of the basic stuff out of the way first. Key ability decks. Hit points are 10 plus your constitution modifier. So pretty high. That's- You're like... A beefy fighter who doesn't look beefy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Absolutely. unless you unless you want to, I guess. Well, you don't get to choose strength versus dexterity. I will say that. Like, because that's something that the fighter can do, right? Is say, all right, I want to be a dex fighter. I want to be a strength fighter. And right. then they're also 10 plus constitution. In this, you don't have a choice. You have to be dexterity. And I'm kind of okay with that. I'm just saying, I've if you've ever seen pictures of gymnasts, like, they have a lot of dexterity, but also they're just super built. Mm-hmm. They stack. But the muscles generally don't get in the way. Right. They're not bodybuilders. Like, right. Trying to go out there like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, that doesn't work for that. Mm-hmm. But definitely got some strong muscles. Yeah. So obviously you're an expert in reflex, but you're also an expert in will. Automatically you get acrobatics. I wonder why. Huh. <laughs> uh, then you get, depending on your style, which we'll talk about styles here in a second. Simple and martial weapons. You're trained in light armor and unarmored defense. So there's all the basics. The other thing that you're going to get right off the bat is panache. So panache is how you kind of show up everybody else on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Right? When you perform an action with particular bravado, I absolutely love that line. The flair that you do it is called panache. And once you gain panache by performing a skill check, then you gain access to more stuff. Like, so you get a plus five bonus on your speed. You get a plus one circumstance bonus to to tumble around the battlefield. And then you get actions through your style that benefit when you have panache. So it's essentially a switch, right? Do you have panache or not? Have you done something that gives you that extra flair or not? Now that we've kind of talked about panache, let's talk about styles. And this is where I think, Sarah, you really wanted to talk about the braggart. I have a lot of thoughts about the braggart. That have gone in a couple different directions. I think even sort of within each style, there's a couple different ways that you can, you know, like role play around it. 
So for the braggart, uh, you boast, taunt, and psychologically needle your foes. You're trained in intimidation, and you get panache when you successfully demoralize someone. And for me, this actually sounded a lot like what we talked about in our last class discussion for the witch with the curse patron, where basically like you're running mm-hmm. around just trying to like foil other people's plans. Absolutely. You're like, I don't really want to do anything myself. I don't have like this grand goal, really. I just want to ruin everybody else's time. Yeah. Which I think is hilarious. Second of all, this reminds me of a couple people in different pieces of media where like as a braggart, you run around just making like absolutely ridiculous claims. So like Usopp from One Piece. Or Seahawk from She-Ra, where, like, you know, you just, like, you start telling a story, and then you embellish it, and then the embellishments get embellishments, and then all of a sudden you have 8,000 men under your command, and you took down 400 enemies single-handedly, and, like, you know, you're just doing this whole big show, and then when the fight actually comes around, you hide behind your mermaid girlfriend. (laughs) So anyway, I, I think there are interesting sort of role play options that you could you could do with this. And then, you know, depending on whether you you roll well, you can actually follow through on those. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. I like that. So let me go ahead and read off the rest of them. We hopped right into Braggart just because I knew that you had uh something to say about it, but ideas. So there is the battle dancer, the braggart. The fencer, the gymnast, and then wit. Yeah, I. What's up with them not picking like a, an actual like job or, title? Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. It, it was really weird, right? Like it definitely didn't fit with the theme. It's kind of like the witch had Baba Yaga, where all the rest of them were kind of ambiguous, but that one wasn't. Yeah, But with that, I could kind of, like, see it. For this one, one, it's not in a different book like that one was. It was, like, part of the rest of them. And was also just kind of weird. I mean, I, f- I, I don't know. I guess there's already, like, a couple items in the game, like elixirs, that have the name Silver Tongue. But I think that would have been something that, like... I could get it. sort of fits here. Yeah. Where it's more of a title and less of a, just a concept. Yeah. No, I definitely understand. I particularly am drawn to the fencer. So you are trained in deception. And you gain panache when you faint. Or you create a diversion. Look over there! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I absolutely love. I just absolutely love that you can create a diversion. <laughs> so, it, as a lot of you guys know, I actually have a, another Pathfinder 2 game that is the Extinction Curse campaign, which is the circus one that Paizo released. I'm really sad that the circus AP was released before this class was. Because the swashbuckler just fits in with this circus aesthetic so well. I think it fits perfectly. Yeah. So uh, I had a human fighter in my group, and then that person asked me to let them change it, and fortunately for that person, they are my husband, and so I let him change. (laughs) No, I let all of my characters change. I had another fighter who ended up turning into a monk, so. I would like to to frame this in character, like, role-playing as, like, they started off as just, like, generic fighters, but as they got to know themselves better, they were like, mm-hmm. no, I want to become a more specific type of fighter. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, it's, it's very interesting uh, to see their characters good. grow. Yeah. Instead of taking dedications, which is what they could have done, but we we decided not to do that. But anyway, that is way off topic. It does give me a bit of 
a love-hate relationship with the swashbuckler because I cannot tell you how many times my swashbuckler has tried to tumble through my battlefield. Like, all the time. Constantly. Every turn, that's your first action. Oh, absolutely. Default. Yeah, he just he just wants to... Which, for those of you who don't know, tumble through is actually a maneuver. And because of, well, who the swashbuckler is, that, that they just do that all the time. They want to tumble forever. I actually, in my notes, I put Tumblr forever. <laughs> Except, you know, tum- Tumblr is actually not as many people use it anymore. Anyway, fun, fun stuff. So the swashbuckler actually gets, in my opinion, quite a bit of stuff, quote unquote, default. So like where the fighter is very feet focused. The swashbuckler gets a lot of things as class feature. So the first thing that you get besides panache is confident finisher. I'm just going to let that hang out there for a bit. Yeah, low-hanging fruit, Beth. (laughs) It's pretty great. You make a strike with a weapon or an unarmed attack, and you uh, apply your precise strike damage which is another thing that you get and if you fail you still deal half your precision damage so one of the things one of the criticisms that i would have for the layout of this book is the first thing that it mentions right is your ancestry and background stuff your initial proficiencies and then it talks about confident finisher before it's talked about precise strike damage and i would have liked to seen that be the other way around or you talk about okay well here's the style that you get here is your panache here's your precise strike damage and then here's confident finisher because then it like logically makes sense with the flow of the document Beth, they just got a little bit excited, and it showed up earlier than they thought it would. Okay. Right, right, right. But here's the thing. They said that they were a confident finisher. Proud of it. I'm, I'm going to stop. Just, just I would like stop. to say, just, just based on naming conventions, this <laughs> class is somehow hornier than bards. Huh. You right. I hadn't thought of it, but you right. Yeah. Like, bards, stereotypically, right? A very horny class. A very horny class. But none of their, their like, feats or spells or, like, none of those are have particularly horny names. We're gonna have to rate this one PG-13. Fortune repost. <laughs> yes! But, like... Yeah, don't say it like that! Vivacious, vivacious speed? speed. Yeah. Thank you, Chad. I'm glad we're on the same page with <laughs> Vivacious, like Yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny because the swashbuckler I have is a very horny man. Like oh. in in Co- game. In, coincidence? In game. In, no. I meant in game. Well what you meant and what you said. <sighs> I knew you guys were going to take that wrong the moment it left my mouth. Anyway, no, in game, his character, Voril. Really? Yeah. The the character's name is Voril. Yes. Yep. Oh, boy. This just keeps getting worse and worse. We're going to (laughs) move on. It does. (laughs) Ryan, we got to talk. Dude, we're going to have to label this episode Do Not Unpack. Just, <laughs> we're going to release it, but please, no one listen to it. Oh, I'm going to have to walk the plank. Funny. I'm sorry. Oh. Right, for it. This episode comes with free ear soap, so you can unlisten <laughs> to it. It doesn't. It does not come with free ear soap. Ear soap is needed. Uh, nope. Definitely in in this economy, free soap. Absolutely not. In this pandemic, no, no. All right, David's not here, and so we are off the rails. He's going to have to listen to this. 
Oh, I cannot wait for the text messages that I am going to receive because of him listening to this episode. He is going to message Sarah and I and be like, what is wrong with you two? You guys. (laughs) Please stop. I can't believe you've done this. I'm so sorry, David. I have to edit all of this. This is the worst. All right, anyway. So the next thing that they get that I thought was really interesting at level three was opportune repose, which is a reaction where if someone critically fails on an attack against you, you get to take advantage of that and you get to make an attack against them. So basically, when the GM already feels as bad as they can for getting a natural one, Mm-hmm. The player can then make you feel even worse. Right. So let me tell you why I have a love-hate relationship with this ability right here. So usually I just say, oh, I fail, right? No, no, no. I have to do the math. And my swashbuckler's AC is so dang high, you trigger this more than you think you will. Let me just oh, no. put that out there. I hate this ability as a GM. As a player, I love it, but... Yeah, being able to take advantage of critical failures is pretty great. So then, also at level 3, you get stylish tricks. Now, these are just additional skill feats, but they are for acrobatics. Or your skill that is your swashbuckler style. So intimidation, or I can't remember what the other one is. Deception. Right, right. Depending on what they were, you, you get to choose. Oh, wit, you get trained in diplomacy. Which, were we going to talk about those other styles, or were we just skimming over that? We I mean, read we them and talk about them. didn't say. Well, I was just curious. We don't have to. They just, they were fine. Like there's a I I will They're say pretty this. Straightforward. They are pretty straightforward. I will say that they do have quite a few options where I don't feel not all classes released with the same amount of options. Like we get one, two, three, four, five. That's pretty good. And that's all in the base book. We're only gonna get more as we go. So pretty happy about that, actually. Also, wit. Gets, is the one that gets you diplomacy. I feel like if someone was being witty at me, I would not want to diplomacy them. I would want to punch them in the face. <laughs> Just say it. Hey, this, dis- this description of wit says you're friendly, clever, and full of humor. Knowing just what to say in any situation... Mm-hmm. I would like to say as someone who has used wit before, that only works with some people because you basically have to make fun of other people. So only half the people in the room like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Oh, wit. Why? You you as a style is weird. All right. Anyway, uh, you have a lot at level three because you also get, as we mentioned before, vivacious speed. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it like that. Same. I loved it. Yeah. My favorite so, thing on this episode so far. <laughs> vivacious speed essentially increases your speed when you have panache. So you get 10 feet at level 3, and then that increases additional 5 feet at 7, 11, 15, and 9 levels. Pretty great. I was just going to say that, but you got it. <laughs> yeah, when you don't have panache, you get uh, half that bonus. You still are faster, because even without panache, we're vivacious. I would like to say that at ninth level, you become an exemplary finisher. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is unerrable. I would like to blame Paizo for making all of these feats so horny. They are really oh horny. Gosh. They really? Uh, Chad, come on. 
You no, think the artists were wrong. I agree. They, I, they really are. <laughs> I'm just like, what is wrong with Paizo? Why, why didn't they think of these through? Why didn't somebody just try to read these in a sultry voice and see how everybody reacted? Well, that's what podcasters are for. Here's my theory. Yes. Is that this was one of those things where somebody was like, I'm having a slow day at work. I'm just going to name these the most outrageous things that I can. And then, you know, we'll, they'll, they'll get shut down and we'll, we'll rename them, right? And yes. then they never did. And they got released like that. <laughs> yeah. And then the person was just like nervous the entire time. Like, And they were just like, wow, let's see how far this joke goes. And then it was too late <laughs> to stop it. That's true. That's probably Paizo, contra our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> never. They never will. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Yeah. Swashbuckler is just fun. Right? Like, the names of the abilities are fun. The names of the feats that we'll get to in a bit are fun. Like, it's just a fun class. Uh, so at 11th level, you get continuous flare you have a dramatic flare about you in any situation that's not so i'm i'm just thinking about flare as like the little tchotchke pieces at like a like a shenanigans or something raised all these <laughs> tiny buttons and like you know back in the day when facebook had flare and now it's all these just outrageous little pieces of knickknacks all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, either way, I'm here for it. Let's see, what else do they get? They do eventually get Keen Flare. And then their capstone ability at level 19 is Eternal Confidence. Or Light Armor Mastery. <laughs> well, yes. Ooh. So technically, they do get Light... Okay, look! Eternal confidence sounds better. I know, I just think it's so funny because you get to level 19 and they're like, you can master some light armor as a treat. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. The way you phrased that was <laughs> But yes, eternal confidence. Way better, way better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what it gives you, it, personally, it, I have to read the first sentence. As a swashbuckler at the peak of your skill, you swell with confidence and bravado in every attack. I'm telling you! <laughs> so your swashbuckler DC goes to master, obviously. When you strike as part of a finisher or an opportune riposte, you can give the strike the failure effect from the confident finisher. Action, increase from precise finisher, if you have that feat, and uh, it has to use a weapon or an unarmed attack that you could use for a com confident finisher. So essentially, it just allows you to use your finisher and opportune repost with all of your benefits. Also, since we're going to be talking about feats right now anyway, let's just talk about precise finisher because it's really great. So it's a level six feat that if a foe avoids your confident finisher, you apply full precise damage instead of half. So the whole BS thing where you applied half of your damage anyway, even when you miss, now it's even more ridiculous because it takes they take full damage. So it doesn't even matter. Like at level six, it doesn't so matter if you miss. <laughs> So, kind of? Because, like, you don't do weapon damage. Yeah. Right, you just do your precision damage. Right, but your precision damage at level 6 is 3d6. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing so, to like, sneeze at. Sure, I'll take that 3d6. Not, not gonna miss. Exactly. Like, come on. So that was one of my favorite feats. Did I miss anything? I think so. I don't think I missed anything from, like, their normal class features. But my goodness. They have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Like, just as part of their class feature. The features are very fun. 
than vivacious. Yes, yes, they are vivacious. Let's talk feet. Because there's some pretty good feet. I did want to point out, the first one I wanted to talk about is Dueling Perry. Now, Dueling Perry is something that we've seen before already. So there is a Dueling Perry for fighters, and then there is a Dueling Perry for swashbucks. And essentially, they are very similar. They're almost entirely the same. But there's not? Like... The wording is almost identical, but it's, like, slightly different. I don't know why it had to be two separate. I don't, I, I don't actually understand that. But essentially, you take an action, and you get a plus two circumstance bonus to your AC. As long as you're wielding only a single one-handed melee weapon, and you have your other hand free. Which, if you remember, we were talking about the Megas and their dueling spell, which was the same exact requirement for them, too. Only that didn't deflect melee attacks it deflected spells. But I don't know. If anybody knows why there is a two dueling parries, one for fighters and one for swashbucklers, let me know why. Please tell us. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is, like, the swashbuckler feat is a level 1 feat, where the fighter feat is a level 2 feat? But it functionally does the same damn thing. Hmm. So, I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend like I understand everything. That's just a failure. What are some other feats that you guys saw that you wanted to point out? So, another level one feat is your next. It triggers when you down an enemy, and basically you promise you're coming after another enemy next. So it's basically the equivalent of taking two fingers, pointing at your eyes, and then pointing at your next enemy, being like, this isn't a threat, it's a promise. You're going down next. Oh my gosh. That is a bit terrifying. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) So I I think if I was playing a swashbuckler and I had that feat, it would just every, that would become my signature move is like, after you strike somebody down, you just, you're next. (laughs) I feel like we need to tell Jesse about this feat, see if she can get a swashbuckler dedication. (laughs) No, I don't need that in my life. (laughs) Just threatening people on the battlefield after she kills them. She already does that. She already does, like. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, well, I had two feats that I really liked. One was After You, which is, do you want to start the fight with a little bit of panache? Why don't you just go ahead and give up your initiative order, start last, and by golly, let everyone else go first, and you got panache. What a gentleman. Doesn't that just show the biggest amount of confidence in yourself? You said yes. confidence, but I think you meant arrogance. Yes, I did mean <laughs> arrogance. Thank you. No, guys, you you go ahead because it's you, not going to matter anyway. It's okay. <laughs> I still have to uh, file my fingernails. You go right ahead. I'm just going to make you feel it better. All right, let's get up to this. And the next one was flamboyant athlete. What does this feat do? It just simply makes you better at stuff like swimming climbing so did you ever want to be like david hasselhoff from the oh my gosh yes do it no this is your chance i hate that you made that reference (laughs) yes i actually hate it (laughs) and that's why (laughs) you knew i'd hate it too didn't you (laughs) yes I do like the names of the feats. So I'm not I'm not going to go into what these do. Uh but like all for one or excuse me, one for all. The other way around. Definitely a, a reference. 10th level feat from My Hero Academia? Yes. No. Sorry. What? <laughs> yeah. Please go. On. Mobile finisher which makes me think of the video the music video for Threw It on the Ground, 
where he takes the cell phone and just throws it on the, the yes. ground. Yes. Where it's a mobile <laughs> finisher. Mobile. That's... <laughs> Yay. Like, I can pun sometimes. I love that. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Anyway, that's just, that's what I saw. Uh, then you have Panache Paragon at level 20. Some good alliteration. Mm. Oh, yeah. As Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive, I feel like we would love things like Daring Do and Dueling Dance. This is true. Okay, who's going to create a swashbuckler? Some of these feats are definitely on brand. I want to. Uh, Also, they do get attack of opportunity at level six. I mean, as a feat option. I mean, at 12th level, you get to cheat death, so that's pretty good. Somehow you always escape the Reaper by a hair's breadth. Avoid being knocked out or killed and remain at 1 HP instead. Level 12! (laughs) I mean, yeah, at level 12, how many times are you going to get dropped? Says the GM, who's definitely planning on killing her characters at some point. So they can all become (laughs) swashbucklers? No, (laughs) absolutely not. I will. I will tear up your digital character sheets. Oh. (laughs) This reminds me of Orc Ferocity. Oh, yeah. Which is a first level ancestry feat, um, which basically does the same thing where you'd be knocked out but not killed and you just refuse. You're just like, (laughs) no. Uh, And then you remain at one HP. No. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I had uh, honestly had forgotten about that. I think we had talked about that feat in a previous episode, actually. Probably. It is a cool feat. I I really like it. Just just the like, well, I would have passed out, but by pure force of will, I have decided that's not for nah. me. I just nah. rage. I've decided to decline. Oh, you wanted to kill me? No, thanks. I'm uh-uh. good. Thanks for trying. Now let me punch you in the face. Yeah. Also, I feel like the 14th level flamboyant leap just has Seahawk written all over it. Like, you just, you're just a fancy jumper now. A fancy leap. jumper? Are we in England? Yeah, you're actually, you become a sweater for a turn. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about. You stylishly leap and deliver a powerful finisher. Hey-o! Please make oh, no. it Immedi- Immediately after the finisher, you fall to the ground if you're in the air, even if you haven't reached the maximum distance of your jump. Well, that's just so that we don't have an entire anime episode of someone jumping. That's true. I, I would say that I think the swashbuckler so far makes the best anime character. Ooh, yes. I, I can agree with that. With the precision damage and extra flamboyance and, like, extra move speed, there's a good possibility that by the time you reach level 20, you could be a full-blown anime character. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. Make all of One Piece characters exclusively in Swashbucklers Challenge 2020. <laughs> well, you need to go to the forums. I'm positive that other people would join you in this endeavor. Probably. Except I don't think you could make Robin out of a swashbuckler. You'd need her to be some sort of magic caster. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe swashbuckler dedication? Maybe. So, now my question is, we have these awesome anime characters. (laughs) Yeah. What ancestries fit? Because I'm thinking just about anything. Goblin. Yes. So if they have a dex penalty, it's not going to be the best. Still make it work, though. But narratively... I mean, narratively, it's, it's awesome. Narratively, goblins are always the right choice. Well, I think even uh, stats-wise, goblins are great. Oh, right? Yeah. Because, like, one, it, it would be freaking terrifying to see a goblin come running at you at the speed of, like, 40 feet per second. Like, that's <laughs> terrifying. Can you imagine? Right? So, like, you get dexterity and charisma already, <laughs> and we're talking about all these, these charisma skills. Like, I think, for once, this is one of those ones where 
Goblin fits perfect. <laughs> For what? I think it also fits really yeah. nicely into sort of their like mischievous side. I do want to mention Catfolk because they also have dexterity and charisma. Also, any of you guys watch Treasure Planet? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. That spawned furries, I'm just letting you know. That's fine. What was Captain Amara? Was that her name? Yeah, she was a cat. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Agreed. But. That's uh, all I'm going to say. That's it. Just. I, I thought there was just going to be something else there. Oh, no. Amelia. It was, it was Captain Amelia, by the way. Okay. okay. I was going to say, as much as it would be terrifying to see a goblin running at you at 40 feet per second or whatever, it would be even more terrifying to have it as, like, an orc. It'd be awesome. Because, well, yeah, but you have this super large, bulky creature, right? And now that's moving at you at 40 feet per second, which is more terrifying because you were counting on it being like a slow power hitter, not Mm -hmm. a quick nimble dodger. And now everything is confusing (laughs) and you're going to die. Yeah, that's true. I I would like to put forward pause for effect. Leshies. Leshies are going to make wonderful swashbucklers. They can shoot their own vines to like swing from stuff. Vine leshies would be excellent for climbing the ropes. Mm-hmm. Leaf fleshies would be great for floating down after climbing the ropes and making quips at people while floating through midair. Also, gourd leshies. They can hide simple objects in their heads. <laughs> to use later on. Okay. The most important reason of all for picking a gourd leshy, you can call it a squash buckler. <gasps> that was from David, y'all. <laughs> the squash I'm leaving. buckler. <laughs> I told so good. <laughs> that absolutely hurt my soul. <laughs> but it's so good. It's not though. <laughs> okay, so uh. to to be on that theme, I was just like, "Well, what would you call an orc that's a swashbuckler?" And I was like, "A swashborkler." And then Ooh. I was just thinking about corgis <laughs> in swashbuckler costumes. Oh my gosh. It's so cute. <laughs> Corgis with tiny eye patches. <laughs> I am upset. But and I cannot it. in any way I, I, I can't I can't. <laughs> I'm I am a broken woman at this point. <laughs> so I'm done talking ancestry and puns. Oh. I I I am. I do want I want to talk about first edition flashbook. So they were another class that was in the advanced class guide. So they weren't released in the core guide either. But many of the things that we talk about are going to be kind of the same, right? Like they had panache. Uh they had m- many similar feats. The thing about panache that was different was it was a pool. So they spent points of panache to perform deeds. And so swashbuckler deeds were a lot like feats. And so if we look at some of the first edition deeds, they are very similar to some of the feats that are in second edition. So we have Daring Do again. We have things like Dizzying Defense and Perfect Thrust. Uh, There's Cheat Death again. Uh, Deadly Stab and Stunning Stab. So very similar feel. That being said, I wasn't actually a huge fan of the Swashbuckler. I didn't like the push and pull of spending panache points. And you kind of had to rely on your GM for panache as well. You started off with a number of panache points, but then through doing random things that your GM could grant them for you, 
you could get additional ones. But also, if you landed a killing blow or got a critical hit, you could get them back, too. Which, for swashbucklers, was pretty easy, because your goal as a swashbuckler was to get your critical down to be as low as possible. So, now, this is very different than it was in sec is in second edition, but there were critical thresholds. So a swashbuckler could critical on a 15. So if they rolled a 15 or higher on the die. What? There were, like, feats that they could take. So instead of, like, only a 20 would be, like, a critical, you would critical on, like, if your die rolled a 15. So, yeah, th there are is definite advantages, in my opinion, to the second edition swashbuckler. I like it quite a bit more than having to get points and then spend those points on certain deeds. And no, I, I like essentially having your full arsenal available to you at all times. With that being said, what do you guys think? What do you think of the swashbuckler? I'm going to make one. <laughs> I mean, why it's wouldn't gonna, we? It's, it's gonna be Seahawk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that you guys enjoy the Swashbuckler as much as I do. It, it in my opinion, is a, a very fun class and definitely an improvement on the first edition. Shout out to whomever at Paizo named everything. Yes, please. <laughs> giving us Tell infinite material to work with. Tell us who you are, because we want to have you on the show, and <laughs> we will do a rated R episode, 100%. Yes. Anyway. Well, Chad, why don't you take us out? Well, listeners, I hope that you've had fun learning about the swashbuckler with us tonight. It sounds like a lot of intense swordplay mixed with some fun roleplay opportunities in the middle of a fight, which I personally really love. Uh, if you're interested at all in playing a swashbuckler or just curious about what the heck we're talking about, uh, please go pick up the Advanced Player's Guide and take a look. Also, if you have a chance, try out a uh, one-shot with the new playtest characters. I can't wait to try out a summoner. It's finally happening. <laughs> but uh, until next time, guys, remember, dice don't die. But player characters do. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die, or email us at Dice Don't Die Pod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.